Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. In 2020, City Lab of Pittsburgh released a study that ranked Cleveland as the worst city in America for Black women to live. A new podcast called Living for We is trying to figure out why and how we can change that. The podcast interviews Cleveland residents about their experiences at work, at school, during visits to the doctor's office, and while in community with each other in an attempt to answer the question, is Cleveland really as bad as they say it is for Black women? Executive produced and hosted by Marlene Harris-Taylor, produced by NPR's IdeaStream Public Media in partnership with Evergreen Podcasts, and with creative direction and production by Hey Fran Hey. The podcast covers topics like education, healthcare, and workplace challenges for Black women, speaking with guests ranging from ages 7 to 94. Episodes regularly include segments with Dr. Angela Neal Barnett, a national award-winning psychologist and professor, about the unfair expectations society places on Black women, asking her for her advice on how to cope and, furthermore, how to challenge these ideas. Check out Living for We wherever you get your podcasts. Tabitha Brown brightens days like no one else. Now the actress, vegan, and social media phenomenon is partnering with Target to give all your gatherings that perfect summer glow. It's all about bringing loved ones together around all the best things. Delicious food, fun games, good music, and that bright, happy sunshine. This collection has you set for a summer full of joy. Check out the Tabitha Brown for Target Outdoors Entertaining Collection on May 14th in Target locations and on Target.com. It's not good enough for me since I've been with you. It's not going to work for me. Nobody can find you. Nobody can hurt nobody. And when I got to go, I'm going to call somebody. And when I got to go, I'm going to call nobody. And when I got to go, I'm going to call somebody. Oh, like we in our marriage. Oh, like we ain't go have it. Go all your life I do. I gotta do what lovers do. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. That was uh, Unforgettable by French Montana featuring Sway Lee uh, oh. in Simlish, because I don't know the words. So is this uh, a newer song? Uh, it came out a few years ago. I don't I think recognize it. When did Unforgettable it. come out? Let me see. Unforgettable. I feel like I French, French Montana yeah. just came out with a a new song. A new album. Oh, did he? That's what I heard. I feel like I saw it on the internet somewhere. This came out in... Why are you not giving me a year? Like, what's up with that? I thought y'all used to do that. Oh, no. What year did this come out now? Oh, 2017. Okay. Yeah, 2017. Actually, I'm not, I don't like listen to a bunch of French Montana. Um, 
But I like that song. And I also realized a couple, I had a, I have, have an affinity for the little Ray Shremmerds. I like the little Ray Shremmerd. <laughs> I do. I like them. They I look like little black anime characters. <laughs> the little Ray Shrem. Yes, I'm down. I like the Ray Shremmerds. They're well, brothers out of uh, Tennessee, Memphis or something like that. That oh. sounds, that sounds about right. Well, praise, praise the, Lord, the Lord, niggas. Yes, <laughs> Praise the Lord. Oh. How are you on today, sister? I am doing my very best. I I am uh, taking it easy. Um, how are you? I'm all right. I uh, I had a whole weekend to myself. Um, Wonderful. Tristan's aunt passed away, but so yes, he had I'm to go to Trinidad. Yeah, you tell um, me But I, you know, Noah's grandmother wanted her over there, you know, to just Mm -hmm. bring her good Noah energy. Mm -hmm. And I took advantage. I know that's right. Of having the whole house to myself for a weekend. Wonderful. I ordered several bottles of wine. I know that's right. And I turned on that. I turned on my little Ray Shremmer, you know, (laughs) track radio. And I cleaned my house. Oh, I know. (laughs) What a, what a time. Oh, it was a time. You know what else reminded me of that song? Mm-hmm. Another thing that I did, a shameful thing, <laughs> shameful thing I did this shameful. weekend. I sat and watched the Tokyo Tony and <gasps> Megan What's a Face interview on YouTube. Megan What's a Face from Bad Girls Club. Uh, I like to fight her. Um, Tokyo, I just came here to fight. Tokyo let's fight. Tony and Tokyo Tony, and let me tell you something. I can't. Unhinged. I can't do it. I can't. Unfucking. I can't do it. Unwell. (laughs) Unwell. Oh, unwell. Oh, very much so. What she said, first of all, she lied. She lied through the entire interview. She made mm. up businesses. She says she owns a trucking business. She says she she has no trauma in her life. I cannot believe that somebody who acts like that don't have no trauma whatsoever. There's got to be something that lends to you acting like this. She is out of her. I have just felt like she is high all the time. Like, I don't even feel like she is, like, her behavior is very erratic. And it, it, it is, to me, indicative of high, high, extreme levels of addiction. Sister, do you know what this lady said? She says she has over 30 children in Uganda that she takes care of. And so Megan What's Her Face was like, oh, um, so you know, so like, you know all their names? And she was like, what? No. <laughs> She's... <laughs> Like it was very no, I don't know their names. She like I've been making up nicknames. We call them little froggy, little fly, fly, little blah blah blah. I was like, what in the actual fuck is wrong with you? Then she so says, much, this so much. Like, Do you have like a like a GoFundMe set up? Is this for some sort of foundation or so? Mind you, I'm not also I'm not praising this girl's interviewing skills because it was clear from it is a bad that bad girls club girl doing interviews first of all that says enough second of all they set this up strictly to um to 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 be messy this whole well, yeah it's, all, it's clickbait clickbait it is yeah it is it is very all, so. almost exploitative at this point because yeah there is some clear pathology happening 
because she's out of her mind. She says she got the Austria. She don't know these 30 something kids. She got a found a foundation, a fundraiser or something. No, mm. I just send them money through my PayPal. Okay, that's enough. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. That's I'm enough. Sorry. That's enough. I don't need any more of that. <laughs> oh, it was it was incredible. But yes, praise the Lord, niggas. Welcome back to another episode of Getting Grown. I'm well. Key is well. Yes, um, we're doing well. And as useless as this intro is, we have an amazing kitchen table. So, too. so good. We set another historical moment here on Getting Grown. Mm-hmm. Um this this episode and you will find out why um before we get into the kitchen table i just have to say not to be you know performative or anything happy pride month you know what i'm saying we have to uh make sure that we acknowledge over here over here getting growing you all already know we stand behind the community we stand with the community we stand in front of the community um we don't let nobody talk no shit and we're not performative where it's only the month of June. But just like Black History Month, we're going to acknowledge y'all's month too. Period. So um, happy Pride Month to to all yes. of, our, of, of our family in the LGBTQIA plus community. Okay. That is everybody under every acronym. Correct. Okay. And Black Verse. So with that being said, <laughs> and I don't feel bad about it. With that being said... <laughs> Make sure you all stand by for our amazing kitchen table talk. It's so, so good, y'all. This week's episode of Getting Grown is brought to you by the Tabitha Brown for Target Outdoor Entertaining Collection. Bring your loved ones together around the best things. Delicious food, fun games, good music, and that bright, happy sunshine. This collection has you set for a summer full of joy. Find your new summer favorites in the Tabitha Brown for Target Outdoor Entertaining Collection, available May 14th in Target locations and on Target.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the kitchen table. Today, we have a very special guest. I know you all are tired of hearing us say <laughs> a special guest. They're like, figure out something else. <laughs> and you know what? Maybe our guest today can actually help us with some different vocabulary words all outside of, of special. special. Yes. <laughs> all of our guests are special. Because all of them are black women and all of them are amazing, uh, amazing humans in their own right. And Miss Marita, I have to say you are especially special because while we had you, we were talking about my daughter. She's the youngest guest we've ever had. Uh huh. You are the most seasoned. Yeah. Oh, yes. you <laughs> like that. And so we are really grateful to have you here with us at the kitchen table. How are you? I'm fine. I get more seasoned and frisky every day. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, seasoned and frisky. (laughs) I love that. I love that. Welcome, Jade and I. We love to uh, build community with people. And this is a a learning space. The kitchen table conventionally is the space in the house where business is handled, but also where love and wisdom and all of those kinds of things are shared. Mm-hmm. Um, we have fun at the kitchen table, but we also have, you know, deep and meaningful and significant conversations as well. So we are honored to invite you to our kitchen table and want you to know that you're welcome here. And we're excited to get to know you and your work. I'm excited to get to know you guys. So, Miss Marita, can you please tell the people, just to give you all just a quick rundown, and then I want you to go into 
share sharing whatever it is about yourself that you would like. Miss Marita is uh, Marita Golden. Okay, first of all, that is a fantastic last name. <laughs> Marita Golden is an American novelist, journalist, uh, nonfiction writer, a professor, and a co-founder of the Hurston Wright Foundation. And I'm going to stop right there because all of that sounds esteemed just on its own and it doesn't say and that's not it. But Miss Marita, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Well, I'm the author of 22 works of fiction and nonfiction and some anthologies. I'm a uh, literary consultant and a speaker. And um, I think in community, literary institution builder, Mm -hmm. I've done, worn a lot of hats. And I think it's kind of in my DNA to bring people together. And then I, I, co-founded the Hurston Wright Foundation. Um, in the workshops that I currently do, I do a lot of, especially Black women. Black women are just writing like crazy. And so I'm working with them on their writing, but also building community. So um, I've worn a lot of hats and I'm passionate about all of it. And um, I sort of see myself doing it till 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 I can't do it no more. I know that's right. I love that. I love that. Your your bio characterizes you as a literary activist. And as I was reading, um, you know, we talk about all the time uh, the superpowers that we have as black women. And if I had to name a superpower for you, I would say that it is storytelling and cultivating spaces that uh, facilitate storytelling. So tell us a little bit about... Um, what drew you to stories and, and the power of, of storytelling? Well, I think I was born to tell stories. I think I came out of the womb with the mind, the energy, the everything of a storyteller. Uh, I was a very, very curious child. And yet there was this part <laughs> of me very introspective. We lived, I grew up in Washington, D.C. in a part of the city that's now called Columbia Heights. Mm-hmm. And um, my parents had a number of Victorian rooming houses, and I loved to go up in the attic and um, spend time up there reading. And I paste pictures from Look Magazine and Life Magazine. That was my fortress. And so I was very interior, very curious about the world. I love to tell the story of, you know, we had these rumors in the house. The first floor was ours and there were rumors on the second and third floor. And I love to tell people that, you know, I was training to be a journalist early on because one of my favorite things to do was to tiptoe upstairs and put my ear to the door of Mm -hmm. the rooms that (laughs) (laughs) find out what was going on behind the doors. (laughs) And uh, so I've always been intrigued by stories. My mother called me a daydreamer. And yet my mother uh, also told me when I was 12 years old that I was going to write a book, which mm. is pretty amazing for her. She, I, she'd she seen my proclivity for writing. And she just mm-hmm. said, one day you're going to write a book. I mean, and this is amazing for a Black woman who you know, had a high education but was not herself a great reader. And mm. in that way that Black parents you know, always were preparing their children to be great. Um, She just said, you know, you're going to write a book one day. And then my father, 
who was an Afrocentric person before the term was developed and from whom I learned most of the Black history I ever learned as a child. Um, my bedtime stories were about Cleopatra as a Black woman, mm. Hannibal, mm. Frederick Douglass. So I was getting from my father um, these bedtime stories of great, mm -hmm. uh, impactful, very dramatic people from history. And then my mother was telling me that I was going to write a book. So I had this environment that combined with my own natural proclivities. That fostered, that fostered those talents and those gifts. I love that because you mentioned it, especially for us as Black people. Um, and then you you want to take it a step further sometimes with different generations there's not uh there's not an encouraging of creative gifts in that way so i, I think mm -hmm. it's beautiful that your parents were able to foster that type of environment around you what do you think it was from their backgrounds that allowed them before gentle parenting was a thing and <laughs> we're in the day and age that we live in what do you think it was that allowed them to foster that the really encouraging environment for you to explore? Well, well, on my father's side, my father was just from a family of dark-skinned Black people mm -hmm. who believed that they were great mm -hmm. and who did not, as I say, have a great deal of formal education. But mm -hmm. in that way that previous generations of Black people, for example, in the 20s and the 30s before integration, knew that Egypt was black, that Egypt was black. They knew all of that. Um, that was my father. And uh, so it was natural for him to, and then he raised me like I was a boy. That was the other thing. He would take me around in his um, taxi cab. I spent mm -hmm. a lot of time in his taxi. And um, he took me He took me to crap games. Oh, it sounds like my husband and my daughter. <laughs> I, mean, I hope you're, well, I hope your husband doesn't do this. He took me <laughs> to girlfriends. I mean, he took oh, me. <laughs> not, not, like, he better not. <laughs> <laughs> and he just raised me like a boy. And then my mother was just one of these, get some education and they can't take that away from you. You know, mm -hmm. that that mm -hmm. mantra that so many Black parents raise their kids with. Mm -hmm. I was I was very, very blessed. I mean, some people become writers because they have this trauma that marked them. And mm -hmm. writing is a way to heal and to enlarge themselves. I didn't have that. I just mm -hmm. was given all these other things to, to, to tell stories. I love that. I love that. What were some of your outside of like Cleopatra and and getting the accurate knowledge of what a lot of our history is? What were some of your favorite because you were a dreamer, it seems as if. So what were some of your other favorite stories that got you into writing? Well, I was one of those kids that read Nancy Drew. I mean, it's a whole generation of us in the, yes. <laughs> in, the you know, in the 50s, 60s. We were Nancy Drew. And that little white girl, I mean, she took <laughs> brave and bold and curious and get into everything, mm -hmm. you know, but then I was one of these kids. I mean, by the time I was in high school, I was reading War and Peace mm -hmm. and, um, yeah. you know, really big novels. And I was just curious about, I discovered, I really didn't discover black literature until I got into college. Mm -hmm. My father's oral stories 
were not complemented by a lot of books mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. I was a young child. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of my most satisfying ever moments as a writer interviewer was during the 60s, there was a magazine called, um, oh God, it was published by, uh, you know, Ebony Magazine Jet. It's called Black World. Mm. All the Afro-wearing militant, all of us mm-hmm. were Black World, so we could be Black. And I read in there that the first historian of Black, uh, the first man to write a history of Black people in America and of the world was George Washington Williams. Mm. He um, wrote this history of Black Mm. people and Black people in the world. So I remember I was a student at American University and (laughs) in a history class, my history teacher said somebody else. And I raised my hand and said, no, actually, it was George Washington (laughs) Williams. But but the thing that was the most unforgettable was years later when I did my book, The Word, Black Writers on the Power of Reading and Writing, I interviewed the great Black historian, John Hope Franklin. Mm. And Mm. he had done a biography of George Washington Williams. And I'm Mm. sitting in his small kitchen in Durham, North Carolina. And he says, you know, I have a first edition of George Washington Williams' book. Wow. Goes downstairs and brings up this book that, was the first book ever written by a Black American about the history of Black people, not only here, but in the world. Wow. Um, And that's just one of the amazing things that my writing and my curiosity allowed me to experience. So you have, uh, that's like really intense. Right. (laughs) I'm like, I'm very blown. And I'm getting ready to go and look all that up after we're done. Exactly. (laughs) And this is a book that would have been published in the 1890s or so. You know, so tell us a little bit about Miss Marita Golden at American University. Like, tell us a little bit about your time in school. And uh, we also just for the record have something in common in that we both went to grad school at Columbia. The J School? I I was at Teachers College. Okay. uh, Yes, that's cool. Great. Great. Yeah. Yeah. But um, tell us a little bit about that time in your life. You know, growing up in D.C., you ended up at American University. What did you study there and how did we get from American later to Columbia? What was that period like? The seminal event of my teen years and for probably my generation was the assassination of Martin Luther King. Mm. So overnight in high school, we were integrationists. So when we graduated, when we were getting ready to graduate high school in the spring of 68, many of us were integrations. By the time we entered college, the fall of 68, we were Black power. Mm. And that changed everything about our view of who we were and our view about America. Um, I was one of the first Frederick Douglass scholars mm-hmm. to university right after Martin Luther King's assassination you know, white liberal guilt. You think that George Floyd aftermath, you haven't seen anything until aftermath of Martin Luther King. They put together mm. these programs in a minute where like there were 18 of us, we got a free mm. ride completely to American University. We were all wow. really good students from the uh, high schools in DC. 
And I mean, he was like way out of my affordability. Wait, the white guilt was happening at that time? Yes. yes. Oh, they, they, <laughs> it was a totally free tribe. Yeah. And um, I was active in the OSATO, the um, organization for Black of African African students at American University. In fact, just celebrated our 50th anniversary. I celebrate. I actually I graduated from Columbia 50 years ago. We celebrated wow. classes 50th anniversary. But I have fond memories of American University. I had great teachers, really great teachers. I love being there so much that I didn't want to graduate. I wanted to stay there. And, <laughs> um, and I was um, black, loud, proud. I had a column in the newspaper where I had a big afro when I looked very serious. And um, one time I did a column criticizing um, Eldridge Cleaver, who was um, mm. even, the, even back in those days, we knew he was blatantly sexist. And so mm-hmm. I written a column. And after I wrote the column, somebody told me, said, well, you know, he, the Panthers went over to um, Howard and tried to beat up the, the sister who's the editor of the Hilltop. I said, oh. <laughs> so after my column came out, on, I, was, I was incognito. I was totally uh, on Burnett. And this is my name. On the run. Burnett. In the soul <laughs> corner, nobody had ever heard of me. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody ever heard of me. So I was very scared. They came up in their um their black leather jackets, you know, looking nice. and everything. But yeah, and so then I went to Columbia, the J School, and I had a great time there. I was um mentored by Phil Garland, who mm. was one of who was a black woman who was an editor at Ebony Magazine. Mm. And okay. she wow. was one of two black faculty. Um, at the school then it was Luther Jackson and it was great I mean I was young god 1972 New York City yeah gifted in black Jesus yeah. well, well, first of all I love you reminiscing right now to Begori, yourself right? <laughs> <laughs> Woo, what a time <laughs> she's like because I know y'all weren't there so I'm talking to me <laughs> I mean the world had split open and all mm-hmm. these things that our parents could never do jobs. Mm-hmm. Could never we were getting those jobs. And to mm. be, as I said, young, gifted Black, a writer in New York City. And um, I was writing poetry at that time. And I would go to these poetry readings with June Jordan and see June Jordan and Audre Lorde. And at one poetry reading with Audre Lorde, I handed her a sheath of my um, poems, which mm-hmm. I a, a typewriter that is a typewriter is interesting anyway um <laughs> we know a typewriter is miss marita we ain't that young <laughs> so she, uh, i asked her if she would read them and she said yes and i'm laying on my bed in my apartment on west 92nd street one evening and the phone rings and it's on <laughs> and she tells me that she really thinks i'm a really good writer and wow. she keep writing and wow. was mentored very, very generously. And so I have mentored other writers in that in that same way. Um, but it, it meant it meant a lot. Um, yeah. It meant a lot. Yeah. And I, I remember when my first book, uh, Migrations, was published. Um, and was... the gave me a beautiful quote for that. This is a book all women um, will treasure and all men must read. Yeah. Wow. So wow. I think of age at that time when you know Toni Morrison and and my Algerlude, everybody was was getting published and making mm-hmm. a way, and then 
then a decade later, I was standing on their shoulders along with Terry and Gloria Naylor and, you know, a bunch of other people. So let's get into your first, because you just mentioned it. So I think that's a good transition. First of all, that is incredible. And I have other I questions. I'm all over the place. I'm like, where the do I go? Where do I, <laughs> I want to get into, into you writing your first your first book. How how long after you got out of school or graduated did you did you publish your first your first writings? Okay, my first book was Migrations of the Heart, which turned out to be a memoir. Um okay. I knew the novel before that. Um, but uh when I I was married to my first husband, a Nigerian. I was living in Nigeria. And so I brought it oh. back to the States. And the editor of Essence said, uh, she said, I was home for the summer. She said, well, why don't you take it to this new edit, this new agent, Carol Mann, and mm-hmm. see what she thinks of it. So I took it to her. She just started out. And she said, well, you know, it's not that, it's it's good. It's It's not bad. But let me ask you this. You're... You know, you're a former journalist. You wrote for Essence. You're uh, came of age in the Black Power movement. You're a feminist, but you're living in Africa, and you're married into a polygamous family. Oh shit! I'm Why sorry. Are you not writing <laughs> about. <laughs> I was not polygamous, but there were some. My husband was not polygamous, but there were some people in his family. Okay, got you. And so she said, "Why aren't you writing about that?" And I said, "I don't want to write about that." You know, I <laughs> and so said, okay, okay, just just keep writing. I'll be here. And then when I went back to Nigeria, and about two years later, that life began to dissolve. Um, it became very clear to me that it was a very gripping, compelling story of coming of age in the sixties, finding my identity, falling in love with you know an African, and ironically, um, migration of the hearts opens with me recounting the stories that my father told me about mm. it. And then I married this African and um, coming back to the States and finding myself as a, as a woman trying to get grown. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I know that's right. What, what, what period of life was it? How old were you around this time? That was published in 83. So I was 33. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, yeah. And um it became a book that was used widely in many colleges as you know, freshmen have to read it, reading mm-hmm. it the, the curriculum. And um in that story, I mean, you know, because stories are universal, you know, this yeah. idea that mm-hmm. black is only for black people know. Um mm-hmm. for everybody. And white folk, Chinese folk, Jeff, love our stories. Yes. And mm-hmm. so um in fact, I just got a, uh, a an, my agent and I just got an inquiry from a Black filmmaker who wants to option migrations of the heart. Mm. Uh, we don't know because, you know, the, the route to making them, to seeing it on screen from mm-hmm. up is long and filled with many pots. Oh, yes, girl. Pots. And we could, and we can, they can water that right on down and, <laughs> and we don't want that ruined. And change it entirely. We don't, you know, we don't, but but it's always nice to know that your stories have that appeal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then after migrations, I wrote my first novel. It can take a couple of tries, but when it's right, you shouldn't even feel it. I'm talking about tampons, people. Now, while pads are great, I was a pad girl for a long stretch of my period having life. Tampons give you more flexibility and freedom. 
I remember the first time I was going on a little beach party weekend and my period came on. Can you envision the stress? My homegirl, shout out to sisters, showed me how to use a tampon and I was free. I'm talking fly like a bird or I guess more like swim like a dolphin, but you get the point. Prior to using tampons, I felt limited on my period. Once I found out they can protect the same as my pad and it shouldn't hurt, it took me a couple of tries to get it right, but I learned how to properly insert a Tampax and I didn't and still don't even feel it. Tampax allows me the freedom and flexibility to do everything I want on my period. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Love what you said, you know, talking about the universal nature of our stories, the universal appeal, how we don't sort of live in those silos where black people only write for black people. Mm -hmm. I'm interested to, I, I know we're jumping around a little bit because I love to hear a part, like, you know, hear your history and sort of what sort of informed your career over time. But just hearing you say stuff like that and thinking about the time that we live in now, right? Mm. The age of book bans and where it seems like there is a political intention and a pressure to stifle, to discontinue, to <laughs> eliminate and erase a lot of our stories. Still, there are many of us who tell stories in lots of different ways. I'm curious to sort of understand how this age hits somebody like you who who knows uh, the power of storytelling. What is it like for you uh, as a storyteller to to be experiencing the climate that we're in right now? Well, it doesn't yeah. it makes me angry, but it it makes me more committed to telling stories. And also, as someone who wanted in another life, if I hadn't been a journalist, I would have been a or I would have been a historian because mm -hmm. I love history. Um, this is nothing new. This cycle. Mm -hmm. of um, censorship and marginalization every it's like every 20 years you know this this hysteria oh you're a communist mm -hmm. when the party was mm -hmm. in the 50s people were jumping off of buildings were putting people in jail uh -huh. um, you know um, there's always this impulse America's always been crazy okay <laughs> um, <laughs> this is really it. nothing new the, the, it's new in the sense that it's really, really organized by one political party. Mm. But what I find disconcerting is that the censorship is really coming from both sides. Yeah. What you're finding now is pre-censorship. I mean, mm -hmm. um, publishers are so afraid to publish some Fear. books. Yes. Twitter, Fear. oh God, Black Twitter will kill, kill us if we publish <laughs> this book. You, you can't publish this, though. You can't do this. Uh, you're white, so you can't write that. Um you're not Latino. And, and one of the most, and I personally think that, I mean, I have, have, have written about white characters in my book. Mm -hmm. I think anybody in the world has the right to try to write about anybody in the world. They may not do it right, but if they're going to try, I'm going to give them credit for it. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, there are these obviously blatant 
things where you know disparaging, some, yeah, some, some, or, or some white woman who's 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 blonde and blue eyed will write a book. She was raised by Indians or the, oh, Indian the hell or the hell, uh, yeah, or make some. <laughs> I'm not talking about those. Uh, right, uh, clearly exploitation and appropriation. But mm-hmm. when you get beyond that, I think that writers. That's the beauty of literature is that it breaks down those walls and builds bridges. It really, really does do that at its best. You are absolutely right, actually, um, because I have a, a, a colleague who I work with from time to time, and she's a writer as well. Um, and she's working on this this story. It's a age. It's a period piece. Uh, but she sent me a draft of it. And she said, listen, I have a couple black characters. It's not a black story, but I have a couple black characters and I have to incorporate elements uh, of accurate uh, history that's happened. She's like, but I really want you to read this and let me know if I'm coming from this from a respectful, but also authentic standpoint. And I appreciated the fact that she came to me like that. She's like, listen, girl, it's not like you're not my only black friend, but you my black friend. Like you be you be put you be put me in my place sometimes. Cause she came up in one of our gigs with the, one of them fucking safety pins on. And I was like, get take that off. Like, <laughs> excuse me, take it off. But <laughs> but I I I agree with you in that sense, right? I think I think if stories are trying to be told and they're limited to you know, just this, then we might miss out on some great storytellers yes. out there, as long as they're being respectful and authentic to the best of their ability. One of my friends is a wonderful white writer named Mark Jacobs. He's published hundreds of short stories. He published a couple of novels. And over the past couple of years, he's been integrating Black characters into his short stories um, set in Virginia, current day Virginia. So he, he sent me one and I said, Mark, I said, you know, you're a wonderful writer, but you know, what I'm finding is that as good as these stories are, the black person is always solving the problem for the white mm. people. Come on, tropes. Make it easier for them in some way. And mm-hmm. he, he took that to heart and he said, thank you. And then he wrote this novel that was just completely he had he went so far as to write a novel set after Black Lives Matter about a 52-year-old white real estate guy divorced who's in love with a black a sister, okay? <laughs> um, who, and, and he finds out that his son has been tangentially involved in a hate crime. I said, oh my God. And the black people were so real. Oh my God. They were like, wait, which book is this? It hasn't been published. They won't publish it. The publishers are scared. The publishers are scared to publish it. Okay. The publishers will not touch it because Uh he's writing after Black Lives Matter. He's white. He's really bold. He's really, and I took the black people. He went home after I gave him that. He learned how to write about black people. (laughs) But he can't get it published. He cannot get it published. And so that's the world we're living in. So, but you know, this too shall pass. Mm -hmm. And even Ron DeSantis don't scare me. I mean, you know, you have, for example, yes, the banning of books and trying to ban people. And then you have on the other side, this movement, for example, at a lot of the plantations where our enslaved ancestors were, many of the descendants of our enslaved ancestors 
are working with the white folk to present the true story of those black people on those mm -hmm. plantations. And mm -hmm. there's a phrase now that's being used. The Mellon Foundation has put aside $5 million for nothing but these plantations where the founding fathers had enslaved people. Mm -hmm. We tell the story so that it integrates the story of the enslaved people with dignity. And you know what they call our enslaved ancestors now? They call them invisible founders. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you had the founding fathers, then we were founders too. Mm -hmm. We just weren't invisible history, but we were founders. And I said, mm -hmm. you got that right. So <laughs> they can do all they wanted. They're not going to stop backlash. Resistance is part of progress. Yeah. I mean, when yeah. Trump was elected, I said, it was so funny. I mean, the week after he was elected, I was doing a workshop in a, in a writing program for a group of women who were all basically Jewish, Jewish therapists mm -hmm. and white liberal. They were about to have a collective nervous breakdown. Oh, yes, honey. Because Trump. So I said, wait a minute. I said, wait. So I said, you know what? I woke up this morning and I said, dang, what did Ida do? What did mm. Frederick do? And they saw lynchings, okay? Yeah, you Frederick right. Douglass would get beat up Yeah, when he yeah. was on the road speaking. So mm -hmm. Trump, what did Ida do? What did Frederick do? You know, so that's part of it. That's mm. part of the resistance, the backlash. And that, that tell the, 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 the intensity of the yes. backlash because you make yes. so much progress. Yes, that's so good. I'm so glad you mm -hmm. said that because there's so much heaviness. There's this sort of spirit of defeat that exists among us because it seems like things are getting worse, right? Mm -hmm. But this is perspective that we need around the fact that, you, like you said, resistance is an indicator of progress. It is a sign mm -hmm. that progress is happening. And honestly, I was talking to one of my colleagues at work today about how frantic and desperate uh, white folks have become right. They're so scared to death that that we are acquiring knowledge and our minds are being open to what has actually happened, the truth of our of this country's history. And they are so desperate to stop that. That's the at the heart of these book bans and all of these other policies and things like that. And so the work that you do around empowering individuals to tell their stories is just so huge. Um, and it's just awesome that somebody like you that has such a rich legacy of doing this work for such a um, a great length of time is still in the trenches. Yeah, it's it's mm -hmm. it's never been never been more important. And you, know, the publishing industry, I've been part of it for forty years, and um, but there's four million books published in this country every year. Mm. Two million of them are self published. Mm. Many of those self-published books are books that are brilliant, books that mm -hmm. are groundbreaking. I work with many Black women, um, some of whom are my clients who, you know, have contracts with big publishers, others who are just really brilliant, great writers, but, oh, they're too old, or, oh, mm. the story doesn't sound like the last bestseller. Mm. Oh, you don't know how social media. Oh, you don't have eight million Twitter followers. 
Mm-hmm. So for those people, self-publishing is a viable option. Mm-hmm. A viable mm-hmm. option. So this mm-hmm. is a great time to be a writer because if the publishing industry, the traditional, they say no, you can say hell yes. It's like the record labels, you know what I'm saying? You can be independent if you're not able to get signed to a label and still be just as successful at this day and age. So how do you, because I know with publishing companies, they um, they put a lot behind you, right? Promotion-wise and all of that to get Sometimes things Sometimes people overestimate what mm. they do. I mm. know. They will pick um, a couple of books and tell the, pu- the publicity people, if this book is not a bestseller, all y'all gonna lose your job. Mm-hmm. And they will make those books. The other people will get a book, event, you know, bookstore, <laughs> an interview mm-hmm. here and there. Mm-hmm. But it's only a very few writers that okay. get the, the five-star treatment. Perspective. Very few. <laughs> so and you're saying don't turn you're your nose up to them, no self They want to know who you know. Okay. They want to know. They're a little white girl who just graduated from Sarah Lawrence. She don't know. Anything. <laughs> what should I do? So you have to tell them the publishing mm-hmm. industry. But I've been in it for forty years. Worked with some people who are dedicated to literature, dedicated to getting me published. So um, mm-hmm. it's, it's a business. Yeah. Twenty-two. You said twenty-two books you've published. Yeah. Yeah. And, and my first novel was A Woman's Place. And okay. that was the story of three, sort of autobiographical, three young Black women mm-hmm. who meet at a college in the late 60s and form a, you know, a lifelong friendship. And one of them is a writer. One is a political activist who goes to live in Africa. And the other, um, at a very young age, marries a Muslim man who's much older. And it's the mm. story of her... Uh, basically getting grown um, through the years of that marriage. And Mm. um, I was very pleased when um, McSweeney's, which is a very, very reputable, very um, important publisher, um, decided to make it part of their Of the Diaspora um, Mm. uh, line. And I I had to reread it which I hadn't done in many, many years as we were recreating the new edition. And I said, wow, this, you know, it still speaks. That is young women who are activists today can still see some of themselves in Serena, you know, and Mm. a good story is, is, has legs, you know, so I'm I'm proud that, that that book, you know, was, was reissued. It does, it doesn't always happen, but I'm glad that they chose to reissue. Wait, I can get me a copy right now. Yes. Okay, I'm going to go give you a couple of now. A woman's place. A woman's place, uh, the long distance life, and do remember the edge of heaven. Um, uh, and more recently, the wide circumference of love that was published in 2017. But I understand that you have a new book coming out, an upcoming book. Yeah. Called um, the New Black well, Woman. During, okay, I'll talk about the previous one, then talk about the new one. During the okay. lockdown, I wrote, um, you know, it was a time of, a lot of productivity for many of us hmm. and mm-hmm. um, we were locked down literally and so many of us were writing like crazy making music like crazy and I found myself writing the strong black woman how a myth um, endangers the physical and mental health of black women after I had kind of a 
medical incident, which turned out not to be that serious, but revealed some things I needed to know. Mm -hmm. um, So it's about how we, as Black women, always feel we have to be so super strong and how we need to release that. And um, in the book, I privileged the voices of Black women, for example, who've been in therapy. And they told their stories of hurt and healing. And, you know, I wrote about um, sexual violence and how we need to just move past. And I was very, there's this whole conversation all over the internet, everywhere. Black women need to take a rest. Sit your ass down. Okay. Um, And now that I was, when I did that book, people really loved it. And they said, well, what are your practices? How do you, take care Mm -hmm. of mentally and physically. So um, that encouraged me to write the new black woman loves herself, has boundaries, heals every day, which will be out on June 13th. And that's about my practices of contemplation, how I um, set boundaries um, Mm -hmm. and how I care for my body. Do you mind sharing a couple of snippets with us or like, Will you give us a sprinkling of some of a couple of things you do? <laughs> well, you know, I, I talk in the book actually about silence mm. and how important it is and how important it has been in my life for me to have periods of silence. You know, we're a very busy, busy society. We think if we're not working all the time, especially black women, if we're not mm-hmm. doing something, we're lazy. Um, it's going to get ahead of us. This, this, this blind culture that talk about the, it. It's the wheel of success. Yeah, honey. that okay. you know, in in rest is resistance. She talks about so beautifully, and yes. we need to stop. And my relationship with my inner Marita is the most important relationship I have of all, mm-hmm. and I have forged that relationship through periods of meditation, silence. And just listening to myself. Now, prayer is good too, but mm-hmm. you prayer, we're asking for something, a job, a man, money, whatever. <laughs> but I'm talking about just <laughs> listening to our breath, listening yeah. to our breath. And you don't have to go on a mountaintop. You don't have to go on a retreat. This is something that you can weave into the fabric of your life. And I grew very strong in my ability to listen to what Marita needed mm. in the silence. And what mm. I needed was to set boundaries. And so mm. I um, can set boundaries. I can say no to this. I can say yes to what heals me. Um, and many, many women, especially Black women, can't. We have a very complicated relationship with the idea of setting boundaries because since many of us are the backbones of our families, uh, we are, are we feel like, oh, I'm so important. Nobody can do anything. I'm the ATM, the therapist, the doctor. Everybody needs me. Mm-hmm. And yeah. when I'm sick, yeah. nobody's there for me. Yes. When I'm sick, I can't even hear my own body mm. because I'm mm. tuned out. I'm only tuned into them. I'm not tuned yeah. in. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's, I mean, yeah. I asked one therapist if she, what would the one thing she tell Black people, black women to do, and she'd say, "Be still." Wow, I know that's right. Take a nap, girl. And then, <laughs> yeah, and then I asked mm-hmm. a doctor, "What one?" And she say, "You know, listen to your body, and don't tell your body to shut up." Mm-hmm. 
or I'll take care of that later. This is so on time. It's so on okay. time uh, because it's, it's, you're absolutely right. We've had conversations on the show before around how some of so much so much of our identity we've been socialized to view our identity solely through the lens of what we do. We mm-hmm. have never really taken the time to get to know who we are outside of what we do. Mm-hmm. And I'll just be completely transparent. Like, uh, stillness is scary for for me. It's a, you know, we talk about it on the show all the time. But, you know, this particular season, uh, I, I lost my brother seven years ago. And it's the anniversary of, of his passing. And I was telling Jay this morning when we were talking earlier that every year around the, the time of the anniversary, I find that I fear the feelings, like I fear my grief. I fear sitting in it. And so even subconsciously, I fill my fill my days with busyness um, so that I don't have to sit in it. Sure. And, um, but, you know, I know consciously like hearing people like you and working with my own therapist and doing all the work that I've been doing and sort of understanding my grief. I know like my sensibility tells me the importance and, and that the fact of the matter is that I can't outrun it, but still like something in my body is just programmed to keep going Mm -hmm. until it just sort of like punches me in the face. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, the, like, one of my, a friend of mine who's a, who is a therapist, who's, whose husband has Alzheimer's and she <clears throat> is primary caregiver with, with some support. She read um, the opening pages of the new black woman and where I'm talking about stillness and quiet. And she said she read the first pages and then she got in her car and she just drove to a nearby park and she just sat in her car for, mm-hmm. for like 10 minutes and just, just sat and just, mm-hmm. you know, and just sat. And she said, those 10 minutes were so replenishing, mm-hmm. so restorative. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. when we build up the muscle to do that, you know, we're going to get sick. We yeah. may get cancer. We may have a stroke. I don't care how much you take care of your body. Your body is not meant to never break down. But Mm -hmm. if you have practices where you are caring for your body and caring for your mind, especially that, Mm -hmm. that can give you a fighting chance. You've got your tools when that Mm -hmm. onslaught comes, it's going to come, I mean, but you want your body and your mind. It's it's interesting. I went to a book reading Sunday, a friend of mine uh, had had cancer and she writes in the book about how her sister said her sister's a meditator. So she says, I I want you to begin meditating so that you won't feel so anxious. So she did Buddhist meditation. Nam Yoho Renge Kill. You know, you sit down for half an hour. That's not the kind I do, but she did. And so she said, she just couldn't get into that. She 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 just could not get into that. Nam Yoho whatever. And she just wrote it up. But then when she was having certain procedures done, you know, shooting her up or blah, 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 mm-hmm. uh, put her full of chemo. And she was very, very anxious. She's nam yo ho renge kill. Uh-huh, because once you hear it, you can't unhear it. For it in yeah. her uh-huh. own way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. And that's how you, so, okay. So basically what Miss Marita just told me is, I'm gonna tell you this much, go get the book on today. <laughs> no. because technically- <laughs> you can order the new black woman and the strong black woman. It's a, it's a curriculum for self-care. I know okay. that's right. <laughs> you know what, technically when the episode drops, it's June 13th. So, yes. Yes. So, the, so the book comes out today. Yes. <laughs> Where Probably can we buy it? Happen. Where is it available? Amazon. Amazon, Amazon. any bookstore, because we'll have it. Yeah. Miss Marita, what message do you have for, for a woman who has a story but is unsure of how to tell it or unsure of whether other people want to hear it? What advice do you have for those of us who, who know that we have a story but are still trying to find our words sometimes? Well, what you described are very common fears. I mean, yeah. you know, I'm I'm starting a revision of a novel, and this morning, I was sort of exercising and doing everything to avoid sitting down because mm-hmm. I had a little twenty two books behind me, but this book doesn't know me. Mm-hmm. I'm still a virgin with this book, and I think that what you have to do is believe, just you know, believe in yourself. The world is waiting for your story. I think mm-hmm. it's important also to find a community, really important. If you take a class, like if you take my classes, people take my classes and then they will stay in community after the class. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and so writing with other people teaches you that it's a process, it's a journey, that you're not the only one who's afraid, you're not the only one who has a lousy first draft and then they have to revise. So I think community is very important. I think going to bookstores to hear the kind of writers that you like to read, hearing them read, hearing them tell their stories. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think just dive in, take a class. I think if there's one thing, take a class. So you mm-hmm. around people who are in the same, who want to do the same thing that you're doing and they will teach you so much. Mm-hmm. And, and I have a class, I have a workshop coming up in mid July um, on the personal essay and memoir. Um, it's a six week, six week, um, zoom class and you can go to my, uh, website. I only have three places left, but hurry up. up. (laughs) Any one thing I would say, take a class, Hmm. take a class. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah. and then I work with some people who've written hundreds of pages all by themselves. I mean, just, <laughs> they didn't have a problem believing. But I think uh-huh. if, if you are afraid, take a class. You will find the kind of support you need there. And they're helpful. It's helpful to somebody sometimes give you some just tools and tips and guides. To, yeah, how to Measure. write. You want to be a yeah. good writer. So you want to learn the, how to write. And you want to be in a yeah. community. Uh, I can't tell you how much the writers that I work with learn not only from me, but learn from each other. I love I'm, it. I have so many questions, but we are already an hour. <laughs> like, like, I want to sit. I want to sit down and talk to you for a very long time. Uh, <laughs> we'll have to. Know. Yeah, that just Please, means we'll have you to have you back? back on. Of course I come back. So your new book drops today, The New Black Yeah, Woman. and we got time on that. I mean, that's like, that's a, a topic that's going to be. Yeah, because I want to mm-hmm. get into this curriculum, this curriculum yeah. of self-care. 
That's because it right no, there. we talk about it all the time. We even have a segment on the show, and Jade and I sometimes struggle because I feel like self care is one of those things that is commonly discussed, but no one ever really teaches us the practice of it. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about self care, people tend, tend to relegate it to like, oh, I got my toes done. Or, you know, you know, those kinds of things. <laughs> you know, I right. slept in. I slept right. in. I had my right. favorite meal. I had a good conversation with my girlfriend on the phone. And all of that stuff does matter. It is restorative and it is helpful. But if we're talking about cultivating practices of self-care in our life, a lot of us don't, we don't have the means to know how to go about doing that. So Yeah, I don't know how to sit. I don't know how to sit down. Yeah, we don't know how to sit down. But you know, I, I tell people if you read Rest is Resistance and Strong Black yes. Woman, you'll be set. Yeah, okay. be set. Okay. Read those two books. Okay. That book turned me around. I have to give my props mm. to Trisha. That book yes. turned me around. Yeah, and I'm, okay. I'm doing everything she said, but she upped my game. I know that's right. Got me together. Miss <laughs> Marina, you have to promise us you're going to come back. Anytime. Please. Please. We Anytime. would really love that. We are very appreciative that you spent a little time with us today at the kitchen table talking about your awesome life and, and your awesome life's work. Thank you so much for sharing this with us. Fun. and for Yeah, we had fun too. <laughs> Wait, okay. I got to ask. I got to ask one little personal question before you leave. Uh-oh. When you put on your music, when you when you come out of your silence and you're not writing, what do you like to listen to? You might find on my playlist, um, Somi, who is okay. a fantastic uh, Ugandan jazz singer. Oh, come on, you, world music! You might, yeah, you might find Chris Stapleton, this bad white boy country music. Yeah. <laughs> no, so honestly, deep. Chris Stapleton can sing. Oh okay. my God. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and you might find um, Sergio Mendez and John Coltrane and Chaka Khan. I mean, I'll listen to I'm, all of it. <laughs> I love the range. Are you listening to any of these new people? I have to be honest, they seem to they too fast for me. Yeah. <laughs> me too. I okay, agree. <laughs> one more one more thing, because, you know, as I, I didn't even talk about it, but I'm you know, I'm all about cultivating our productivity. Uh, but, you know, through the lens of of our best lives, right, getting off the hamster wheel, but still sort of getting us in the place where we can do our best work. So, like, when you sit down to write, what's the setup? Are you the person that needs like silence and a table uh, yeah. Or do you need to be like in a coffee shop? No, no, where no. You, do you, sort of, you fix need, a little I drink or do you roll no. a J? I need, yes, silence. Like- <laughs> I need silence at a table. Yeah. Okay. Or I need to be in the quiet car of a train. Okay. I do have to have silence. Okay. Um, I really do. I know people who've grown up who like were kids, were one of 10, 10 kids. So they learned to write. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I can't do it. I, I have to go off and find some silence. And okay. I went up to New York in two weeks for the day. I, I sometimes I'll get on the train and just go up to New York for the day, see a museum, and then come back mm-hmm. and just sit in the quiet car and read. And you mm. know, the quiet car was invented by a black woman. 
Oh, oh, put us on no. <laughs> he said, I don't, need, he said I don't need all that noise. Okay. <laughs> a black yeah. Exactly. Exactly. She <laughs> was an executive commuting from New Jersey and she got sick of the noise. She and she suggested that they have a quiet. Now it took them seven or eight years. You know how slow everything is. But a uh-huh. black woman invented the damn quiet call. I know that, that makes so much sense. Yes, I want quiet mode. Please don't be on your phone talking to your cousins while you're driving. And the business car is the worst because you got all these, it, Wall Street got, uh-huh. people don't play in the quiet car. If they see you looking Open at your, your phone, phone that's right. Oh, like, <laughs> it is a bit. The shame. The shame is very intense. <laughs> They'd be like, ah, I know that's not a, a phone in your hand. Oh, <laughs> and, and I went down to uh, Norfolk State to do a presentation for a strong black woman. And they I could have driven, you know, from, but I said, nah, I like the train. So I got on the train and it was a five-hour train ride. And riding on the train south is very different than riding on the train north. I had Dolan Perkins' Valdez's book, um, Take My Hand. And I would read a little bit and I'd sleep a little bit and then I'd look out the window a little bit. And I was in heaven. Five hours going to (laughs) Norfolk on the quiet car. I know that's right. I don't think I've ever taken a... uh, You know what? I lied. I took the Amtrak to Ohio and that was... A special kind of hell. I was not in the quiet car. Uh, (laughs) But Miss, okay, Miss Marita, thank you for sharing. Y'all gotta let me go. Uh, Y'all gotta let me go. I know. We 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 can't. We have to. We have to at this point. You gotta go eat dinner and go have your quiet time. Thank you so much again for joining us. Anytime. We really appreciate you. Thanks again to the Tabitha Brown for Target Outdoors Entertaining Collection for supporting this week's episode of Getting Grown. Find the comfiest outdoor furniture you've ever lost on, your new favorite pool floaty, fun games, gorgeous glassware, and more in this new collection. Check out the Tabitha Brown for Target Outdoor Entertaining Collection on May 14th in Target locations and on Target.com. In 2020, City Lab of Pittsburgh released a study that ranked Cleveland as the worst city in America for Black women to live. A new podcast called Living for We is trying to figure out why and how we can change that. The podcast interviews Cleveland residents about their experiences at work, at school, during visits to the doctor's office, and while in community with each other in an attempt to answer the question, is Cleveland really as bad as they say it is for Black women? Executive produced and hosted by Marlene Harris-Taylor, produced by NPR's IdeaStream Public Media in partnership with Evergreen Podcasts, and with creative direction and production by Hey Fran Hey. The podcast covers topics like education, healthcare, and workplace challenges for Black women, speaking with guests ranging from ages 7 to 94. Episodes regularly include segments with Dr. Angela Neal Barnett, a national award-winning psychologist and professor, about the unfair expectations society places on Black women, asking her for her advice on how to cope and, furthermore, how to challenge these ideas. Check out Living for We wherever you get your podcasts. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! 
It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Honestly? Truly. Oh, 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 oh. we're bringing back. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) The Honesty Box. This episode... Um, we've gotten quite a few from you all. And so we said, you know what? It's time. It it's time. time to it do is us time. A little honesty. It is time. So in the vein of Rafiki, <laughs> what would you like to call our listener today, sister? Uh, are there pronouns provided? Um, no, but based off of what I'm reading here, I believe it is she, her. Okay. So let's go with Sarabi. Sarabi. <laughs> all right. Sarabi writes, hi, Dr. Kia and Jade of all Jades. Hey, girl. I've been approaching. Hello, Sarabi. I've been approaching uh, a point in my life where I'm thinking it's time to complete my education. And your individual episodes describing your life trajectory so far was like the universe poking me in the ass. <laughs> I hope not whole. Um, I'm asking <laughs> the women who are close to me for advice in a way that a 22-year-old me never would have. Hmm. I love your opinions as well. I really admire the bravery and work and belief that you've both shown in your lives. Thank you. Hmm. So I'm 38. I have two middle school age children. God bless. And I work in an office. It's fine. It pays a modicum of bills. Benefits are good. I work for my kids' school district, so there are lots of perks. That's mm-hmm. amazing. But I don't feel as if I'm doing fulfilling work at all. I wasn't able to finish school before my children were born. I was going to pursue an English degree. My dream job is to be an editor. My one crazy goal is to be thanked for my work in the acknowledgments of the New York Times bestselling book. Nothing makes me happier than grumbling about the Oxford comma. I'm not much of a storyteller (laughs) myself, but I do enjoy the process of helping knowledge and words come to life. The word, the Lord's word. I'm not meant, okay. I'm not meant to be in front. I'm meant to be a helper in the back. As we slide further into dystopian hell, say it again, <laughs> the creation and preservation of truth is more important to me than ever. And I really do want to be a part of that. It's definitely time for me to go back to school, but I'm wary of the hurdles I would need to jump as a black woman. Publishing is dying, constantly shifting industry, and it's crawling with gatekeeping at as white folks. I also considered getting a degree in business management. I've held office jobs since I was 20 or so, and I'm pretty skilled at seeing what is inherently wrong with whatever bullshit processes they have in place and improving them. I always end up in charge of some software or another. Kia, there are aspects of your job that sound fun as hell. Researching? My therapist says I'm a great researcher. (laughs) Is there any advice you ladies or the community at large could give me? If I tried to state the ways your content is a constant in my life, come on, alliteration, and how much (laughs) I care about you as individuals, this email would be really obscenely long. But it's bad already. (laughs) No, it's not. And ain't nobody got time for all that. Just know that in the club, we all fail. (laughs) Come on, Sarabi. I do love a we and all. (laughs) You know I love love a we in the club. Um, Dr. Kia, go. Um, So it sounds like, Sarabi, like I think, I think, a lot of times um, you you get questions like this and it's like, I didn't hear a question. Um, 
Because it sounds like, it sounds to me like you know what you want to do, Sarabi. You mm. know, you know um, where you sort of feel led and compelled mm-hmm, to, mm-hmm. to do your work. And so mm-hmm. if you need me to tell you to sort of follow your intuition, then I'm happy to be that person. But it doesn't sound like you this does not seem like uh I didn't hear a question in that email. I heard you saying, This is what I think I want to do. Is it a good idea? <laughs> and I didn't I, it definitely doesn't sound like a bad idea. Um mm-hmm. you have thought about your trajectory, your pathway in not only one way, but in multiple ways. So uh in in this instance, like you can't lose whether you go and sort of seek to cultivate your skills as a writer and editor that's mm-hmm. and, and sort of go in that lane or whether you, like you said, um, want to sort of understand the business, uh, the p- publishing as a business. And this is actually ties in really well with our kitchen table today. Uh-huh, but if you, if you want to, if you want to go, and sort of address some of the disparities and inequities that exist in the publishing industry by, uh, you know, shoring up and streamlining and ensuring that processes and policies are equitable. And, um, you know, that, that that sounds like a very viable avenue uh, for you as well. And so it seems like, you know, you have options and you don't lose because either way you are impacting the world in the ways that you feel uh, sort of called to. So um, I I feel like you just described your plan to me. And so my Same. question, my question. And it sounds like you, you got a plan A and B. Exactly. So my question for you is when you going to start? Huh? Because <laughs> hello, Miss Marita said that you need to take a class. That's right. If you want to write. And um, like Kia said, I think this was very timely. I think this this uh, honesty box question came at the perfect time uh, in conjunction yes. with the kitchen table talk. So I just say, here's another poke in your ass. Right, <laughs> Sarabi. <laughs> here's a little poke in your ass and get to work. Like find yourself some... Maybe if it's not like a full degree plan right now, maybe you go find some offshoots. I just took a writing class for a specific project. Um, Went on for eight weeks. It was um, an amazing tool in helping me advance along. And now I'm going to take the next iteration of that particular class. I love it. So I would encourage you to do the same. If it's not a two-year program, four-year program, whatever, whatever, find something that can help you with that to be that catalyst to get you off the ground. You know what I'm saying? Because you seem firm in what you want to do. For sure. And then being able to find the intersection of both of those. You can do your writing and find the disparities within the publishing industry. Maybe you have the business side of it, so you secure that part of it. Like, all of that sounds like a plan. So put it in motion. That is my, that is it. Go forth and be great, Sarabi. Prosper, sister. Keep us posted. Yes. Um... And God bless you and your patience for two middle school age children. Woo! Terrorists. <laughs> if you have honesty box questions, send them to hello at gettinggrown.co. There we go. That's right. All right, y'all. See you for the next segment. Yeah. 
Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Tabitha Brown brightens days like no one else. Now the actress, vegan, and social media phenomenon is partnering with Target to bring the world more vibrance, candor, and joy. Arriving for the season of laid-back lounging, backyard barbecues, and poolside hangs, this limited-time collection is here to give all your gatherings that perfect summer glow. The Tabitha Brown for Target Outdoors Entertaining Collection drops at Target and Target.com on May 14th. This collection is designed to celebrate Tab's favorite season, summer. It's all about bringing loved ones together around all the best things. Delicious food, fun games, good music, and that bright, happy sunshine. From the comfiest outdoor furniture you've ever lounged on, to your new favorite pool floaty, to games, to glassware, and more, this collection has you set for a summer full of joy. Check out the Tabitha Brown for Target Outdoors Entertaining Collection on May 14th in Target locations and on Target.com. And I want to be very responsible of the things I say to my sister. Because everybody know I can be real petty. P-E to the T-T-Y, honey. honey. All right, y'all. Um, let's get petty. Oh, uh, we decided to forego Black women's self-care because... Our kitchen table was just the self-care was built in. Okay. Miss Larita is giving us a curriculum for self-care and we are just going to get into that. And I, like I said, I done bought my books and I'm ready. Hello. So when we come back for self-care next week, we should have something to say. I'm actually pretty pissed off that I did not open up the show with living my life like it's golden. Oh, it's okay. God. I'm taking my freedom. Okay. Um, <laughs> Putting it on my shell. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> Putting it around my neck. <laughs> like, I wonder what she looked like in the studio when she oh, did that. Gosh. <laughs> um, All right, yeah. go ahead. <laughs> Let's get into the mess. Yes. Because I'm thoroughly prepared to mm. be to, for my petty peeve today because last night was such an adventure at my home mm. as I have a neighbor upstairs who thought it would be appropriate on Sunday night at 11 p.m. to smoke meat like like a smoker like you know how when you want like smoked turkey, smoked chicken, yeah, smoked brisket. sausage, brisket. Mm-hmm. It's this big vat of smoke that you cook meat in, right? Mm-hmm. And that is typically reserved for wide open fields and spaces, yards mm-hmm. of that nature. Mm-hmm. And my corners. Yes. My, my condominium <laughs> complex is not suitable for a smoker. Howsoever, no. my neighbor felt it appropriate to use his smoker at 11 p.m. on a Sunday night. And so it's not a holiday weekend, not a holiday weekend. It's not (laughs) Juneteenth. It's not we're not going into a fourth of July. Memorial Day has come and gone. I don't know what prompted him to want some um, some uh, some smoked sausage. I don't know. He wanted some. I don't know. But 
I'm sitting at my desk wrapping up. I was watching, um, I watched The Real Housewives of Atlanta and that dry ass uh, Summer House Martha's Vineyard. <laughs> I'm trying to stick it with stick to it with those girls, but they bore the Wait. black off of me. Okay, I tell you. Sister, hold on. Pause to your so my old co-worker is on that show. I feel like there are several. You're not the only person who told me that they are somehow connected to somebody on that cast. So do you remember? Do you remember the the young man who I used to troll on a daily basis, making videos of, and then he yes. make, trolled me back. Yes, that's him. He's on that show. Is he? Alex Tyree. Wow, they, that is Alex. <laughs> and I had to comment on his thing because. He put this reel up, and I was like, Alex, you are not 6'5". What that the fuck is, is this? Alex. <laughs> I remember him. Mm-hmm. He, you remember you Alex? used to terrorize each other. Every day. Yeah, that was like my work little brother. Every day. Wow. He, he's on that show now. Mm-hmm. Yes, XD called him a Disney prince. Like, he's like a real life I called Disney him a prince. Disney prince. Oh, my God. <laughs> he's a, he looked like Black Aladdin. He does. Mm-hmm. So, Aladdin. Either way, Black <laughs> So I'm watching that show. I'm wrapping up, made my list for the week, moving through some things. And all of a sudden, like I smelled like somebody was grilling, but I'm thinking, okay, the girls wanted something. In your house? Yeah, I'm thinking like, okay, somebody wanted something on the grill. That's their business. That's their prerogative. So I'm not tripping. Mm-hmm. I hear this beeping and I'm like, I don't know where that's coming from. But, you know, it persists. Like, you know, you hear a beep and you think, oh, somebody else's something is going off and eventually. But it kept on. And then I'm realizing, like, that's pretty loud. I should probably take a walk around my house and figure out if if it's something going on in here. So I get up from this spot. I walk downstairs and it's getting louder. So now I'm getting nervous. Like, okay, is it something Mm -hmm. in my house? I'm in my kitchen. I open my garage door. There's smoke in my garage. So I'm immediately like, oh, my God. Right. So right. Frightened. I'm <laughs> frightened. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. I grab my phone and I call 911 because I'm thinking where there's smoke, there's fire. And my right. garage is smoking. So I don't really know what to do. Um, and I, as I open the garage door, it is the beeping is coming because the carbon monoxide detector in my garage is what's beeping. I opened the garage door, which probably in hindsight wasn't the wisest thing to do, but I just was like, it's smoky in here. Let me try to open the door. Because Oh, it's not wise to do? Well, yeah, I guess when I thought about it, it was like, if there's something, if it was like electrical or a spark or something, maybe the opening the garage might have started. If there was uh, gas, opening the garage the might have started. So door. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, thankfully it wasn't an electric issue. So mm-hmm. I called 911. They tell me that I need to leave the house and wait for the fire mm-hmm. department. The fire department is mm-hmm. on the way. So I grab my purse and my phone and a jacket because it's nighttime. Remember, I'm telling you it's 11 p.m. And I'm going outside. Once I get into my driveway, I see that there's a sm- what a grill. It looked like a grill, but when I later learned that it was a smoker. Um, and the other neighbors, the neighbor that is like this, this is a neighbor on my right Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. other neighbor on my left her garage door is open and she's in in her garage and i'm looking at her and she was like my detector is going off too then not this nigga disrupting everything right and so the neighbor on the other side of him 
She also comes outside like my carbon monoxide detector is going off. All because this nigga went to smoke a ham at midnight on a not not holiday weekend. I'm like, okay, so he is like, I didn't, I had no idea, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, you had no idea that a smoker would cause smoke. And he was <laughs> shocked. He seemed to be shocked that there was smoke in my garage. And I'm just like, well, if the smoke is facing the garage, there's no, it's not, it's not going up. It's going out. And so there's smoke in my garage and that's why the alarm is going off. And he's like, oh, and I tell them, I was like, well, I didn't know what to do. So I called 911. So the fire department is coming and the other, <laughs> the other neighbor is like, yeah, well, you did the right thing because if we weren't home and the smoke detector was going off, like you call the authorities. Yeah. So the fire, the fireman comes and, um, you know, he's like, he's like, there's smoke in your garage. I'm like, yes. And I'm like, there's smoke in my house. Because I guess when I opened the door to my garage, the smoke mm -hmm. that was in there went. I was like, so, yes. And he was like stunned, taken aback, that the fact that this machine that produces smoke is producing smoke in our homes. So the fire people come and uh, uh, have they have to rule out now that there is no other issue, and which they do. And they're like, you know, it's the smoke. He's like, it's the CO from the smoker. It's gotten into your garage. They had to take my carbon monoxide detector and like undo it, reprogram it. So all this. And so this is the part where um, it gets worse. So so the fireman, <laughs> so the fireman looks at me and he says distinctly, he asked, he was like, there, it is smoky in your downstairs. He said, open some windows and let it air out. And what do I do? I listen to the fireman because he knows what he's talking about. I'm thinking, okay. Mm -hmm. I should not have done that because all of the smoke that was outside came inside. And after the fire mm -hmm. department leaves, the carbon monoxide and smoke detectors in my house start going off. And now it's 1230 at and I, I am having a panic attack because it's like, it's not 12 noon, it's 12 midnight. Right. I don't know who I could call to help me. I don't have, like, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm like on the ladder trying to push the button to get the thing to stop beeping. Oh my God. Uh, and I, and it's not just the one downstairs, it's the one upstairs. So like I get the one downstairs to start beeping, the one upstairs starts beeping. So literally oh, for so 40 sad. minutes, I'm like frantically trying and I'm opening the doors and the windows like they told me to do. Finally, I call my mom. It's like almost uh, one in the morning. I call my mom and I'm like, I don't know. So what, I know she's worried. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And she was like, well, you have to call the fireman. You have to call. Oh, this is the part. Uh, the guy who is responsible, he mm -hmm. lives next door to me. He was like, well, I work in tech. So if you have any more issues or something, just let me know. So when the things are going off like crazy, I knock on his door. I ring his doorbell. He doesn't answer. I'm like, perfect. Perfect. So is um, the smoker still on? It's still in the. I don't think so. I don't know at this point because I'm in the front of the house and the thing was in the driveway. Um, but they told me to leave my garage cracked and they told me to open the doors. So that was in the. That's what the white fireman said, right? So my mom is like, "You have to call the fire department again." 
because if these things are going off, only they can, they'll know what's And you don't need to be stop. sleeping in a house with carbon monoxide. Right. And so she was like, if there is an actual problem, then we need to determine that so that you can make other arrangements. So now it's something one in the morning and the fireman comes back. Uh, now the black fireman comes in and I'm explaining. He has like the handheld carbon monoxide detector. It's going crazy. And I and, and I explained to him what happened. I tell him which fireman told me to open the doors. He was like, who told you to do that? And I pointed. I'm like, him. And he was like, he shouldn't have told you to do that because all the CO that was outside came into your house. And so now he was like, we're going to bring some fans in here and air it out. Um, and opening all the doors and windows in my home at 1.30 in the morning. And they have these industrial fans blowing dust and pollen into my home serious? onto my furniture <coughs> at this hour while my neighbor who is responsible for the smoked ham is upstairs taking a nap sleeping but and how long were these fans in this all this rigmarole going on in it was house? probably quarter to two one thirty <sighs> quarter to two before everything <sighs> Everything was under control. I would control. go outside and light his grill on fire. I would douse it in lighter fluid and light it on I'm just, fucking fire. I think, and then, you know, I was so worked up that, like, you know, I got in bed, but it took me a long time to really settle my spirit down where I could mm -hmm. go back to sleep because I was frantically trying to get these smoke detectors to stop beeping, going up and down the stairs, climbing up and down the ladder, trying to get my fans to work in my house, trying to get the air on, to try to blow and circulate some air. And I was like, I have to figure this out. And it was just maddening that like, if I was responsible for this, then I can eat it, right? I would, if right. I was responsible, I would take responsibility. But mm -hmm. I spent my Sunday resetting, recalibrating, getting ready, trying to have a good week, and now it is one in the morning and I'm having to deal with somebody else's choices. I am suffering the consequences from somebody else's choices. And I have to manage this by myself while the person responsible is upstairs comfortable in their home, probably sleeping like a newborn baby. In carbon monoxide, because if it was in your house, it was definitely in theirs. It was just a very long... Oh, actually, maybe not as much since they're above. They're above, right. And so I, my unit was the closest to the smoke, which was why my garage filled up with smoke and his didn't. But it was just like, I don't know what Did you kind. see him at all today? No. No. When so I when tell the, you I so have a dirty... I knocked, Sorry. I, knocked on, I knocked on his door. He didn't answer, remember, right? But I think he... When he saw that the fireman, fire department had come back, he came down. And he, like, I, at this point, I'm sitting, the doors and windows are open, the fans are going. And he looks in the door and he's like, are you still having a problem? I'm like, no, it's just four firemen in my house at one in the morning for no ass reason. <laughs> what did he say? Nothing. He just went back in his house. Are you fuck? I was like... I was like, yeah, the smoke detector and the carbon monoxide detectors in my house started going off and I didn't know how to stop them. And there was carbon monoxide in my house because the detectors are like the detectors were going off. So they have to air my house out. 
because you, and you wanted have the nerve to be irritated because you want to smoke turkey wings at 11 p.m. on a Sunday at night a, at midnight on a Sunday. Like, who are you? I'm so sorry. I'm mad for you. Oh, so listen, y'all pray for my nerves. Y'all know that this is a difficult time, a difficult season for me. And you know how when you are dealing with something, mm. all of the other sort of day-to-day challenges of life yeah. seem 10 times more intense. Yeah. Here, here I am just trying to make it through the day, do what I got to do. And now on top of this, I have to deal with somebody else's lack of consideration for the people that that live around them. I am so sorry. So, y'all pray for so me. Sorry. Y'all pray for me and and just pray because I don't mean no harm. I don't bother nobody and I don't know. I just feel like this could have been handled differently. And it yeah. was just unfortunate that I had I had to bear the brunt. Um of of a choice that that was not mm. mine, and I had nothing to do with it, and it just wasn't funny. Like it's it just not. wasn't funny at all. Oh, I'm so sorry. And then he came down, and then didn't have shit to say. Like, no. nigga, you better. <laughs> well, the first time the fire the fire department came, mm. he did apologize to all of us who were inconvenienced, and he was like, you know, if smoke got in your house and. You have like cleaning and service. He was like, just let me know. Um, I'm not letting you know shit because the last time you told me to let something, let exactly. you know something, you didn't answer the goddamn door. So this door. is what I'm saying. Like, this is me trying to let you know that I was in duress. You, I told you and you offered. Like, I'm only knocking on your door because you said I work in tech. Because when the smoke, when the carbon monoxide detector was going off in my garage, the first time before the fire department came, he went in my garage and did something to it and stopped it from beeping. It started beeping again because there was smoke in there still. But I, I then needed help with the carbon monoxide detectors that were in my home. And I'm knocking on your door. And I'm ringing your doorbell. We have the same doorbell camera. So I know you saw me. Oh, no. That's why he didn't answer the door. But when you saw How the fire. How dare you inconvenience you me saw because the fire, I inconvenienced yes. you. When you saw the fire department come, you came downstairs. So I don't know. I don't know. Go to hell forever. Go to hell, guys. It was a rough, it was a rough start to my week. But I'm going to be okay. It was just giving yeah. like, listen, listen. You know where you live. You know what kind of house you bought. You know that we don't live in a place where you could use a smoker. There are actually rules against the use of grills and smokers in our HOA. Like, but here you are trying to smoke your sausage <laughs> and inconveniencing my Which you could have done at 4 o'clock in the afternoon this Sunday at the end of the fucking driveway in the alley with the smoker Facing turned. the street. Yes. Like, Not facing my garage. Would have been ideal. What a fucking idiot. But here we are. Child. What a fucking idiot. If you're listening to this <laughs> and, and, and this person has told you this story from a different perspective, then that means that they are the culprit. And you let them know that I said they are a fucking idiot. <laughs> Oh it's my God, I'm very, so sorry, sister. I hope you get some good rest tonight. Well, let's hurry up and finish yes. this out so you go. I, I hope I do too. It was it was it was a challenging situation, but I made it through. And in the end of the day, 
I learned some things about what you're supposed to do and what you're not supposed to do. So maybe it was a lesson that I needed to learn. And I and I did negotiate it by myself. So I am proud of myself for doing what needed to be done. I didn't break down until it was all over. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't until yeah. I was in the shower after everything was okay that I was that I cried. Which is uh I I'm taking that as a win because Kia from 15 years ago would have been rolling around on the ground when the fire department <laughs> arrived. And While you're in the shower trying meltdown. to wash the fucking stink <sighs> of brisket off of uh, you. Literally. And it was so upsetting since when I woke up this morning uh, and smelled brisket or whatever. I still had that smell in my house. So I'm walking around with my diffuser. I'm like, oh. It's not even like this nigga uh, said. I'm a caterer. Nothing. I'm a chef. I have an event tomorrow. Like, I'm sorry. I should have. Like, I'm like, do you, you make barbecue? I, I work what are you in doing? tech. The, what the he fuck said, I work in tech and IT. So why are you? What are you making? Why are you making hot links at this hour? Oh, God. Oh, my God. I've been wanting some hot links so bad. Oh, they've just been coming up in constant conversation. I would love one um, on a nice. You know, the King's Hawaiian got hot dog rolls oh. now. Mm. Oh, mm. but I need but I need a proper hot link. Like yes, a proper do. one. Not one link. of not one of your organic, like you go to one of the barbecue <sighs> places, they'd be like house made hot. Those are not. That is house made sausage. It's not a hot link. A hot link is filled with nitrates and all kinds of <laughs> shit that I can't identify. And that's how I want it. I want it busting red, about to burst out of the fucking skin within a in a sweet Hawaiian roll yes. with some mustard. Yes. Nigga, don't talk to me about no organic hot link. It doesn't exist. Don't do it. That maybe that should be my petty That piece. is your petty peeve. Cause you just that went is my off. Petty yeah, and the my best petty part is you know, and you know the type of the brown be making vegan hot links and <laughs> please. <laughs> I can't because we have, she sponsors these episodes. I know. I'm so sorry. Let me be quiet. But Tabitha, <laughs> I do not agree with that decision. That I, is the nicest, most corporate way I can stop it right now. You cannot veganize a hot link. I just feel like, hey, guys, when you, maybe I shouldn't say that. That's for the Patreon. <laughs> I will tell you this. Go buy the outdoor furniture. Go get into all the zhuzh. Listen, Tabitha has a. Go get the little the pieces of clothing. Go I get have the dip. Some of her cherry granola cherry uh, trail mix right here, and right as you there. can see, it is nearly empty because mm. I be housing this joint. Cherry vanilla trail mix, yum. Oh, when I tell you, it's that sounds delightful. Dry, you know what doesn't? Dried vegan tart hard. cherries and Ooh. granola with pecans and walnuts. Mm. And it's got little, the little, uh, what is it? Uh, pepitas. Oh, I love a pepita. Pepitas. Ooh. It's really tasty. Uh, uh, Toya put me on. I done ordered three or four of these. It's terrible. Toya, let me tell you about the queen of snacks. She's, she's very girl, snackish. I told her to stop going to the damn supermarket and buying those boxes of those confetti ice cream sandwiches. And then she's going to talk about, I think I have diabetes. No, you don't, girl. I watched you on you your stories you buy 12 18. boxes of, of confetti said, ice cream sandwiches. <laughs> 18, you, you ate 18 ice cream sandwiches in and one week. And then you week. told us on Instagram when you went back for more because you were you addicted. Ate 18 <laughs> ice cream sandwiches in seven days. And talk about, the doctor said I might be pre-diabetic. You ain't no pre 
die. No, that it, no. Did you, you tell the doctor that you, you had, had 24 ice cream 25 sandwiches? 25 ice cream sandwiches. <laughs> Talk about, I just ate the whole box. They're so good. <laughs> Six of them. <laughs> Four per box. Like, oh yeah. yeah, that's my petty peeve this week. It was something else, but I've switched it. Vegan hot links sounds terrible. And organic hot links sound terrible. Give me a nitrate-filled hot link that comes in a box of hot links and you don't know what's inside of them. That's Those what, are proper hot links. That's what the Lord intended. It's, what it, it's just what it is, okay? That's right. Like, my people didn't die for y'all to be making organic <laughs> hot links. What? And my ancestors are pissed right now. <laughs> like, y'all done got what? too good. Mm-mm. But that is another episode of Getting Grown. First of all, thank you so, yes. so, 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 so much to Marita Golden. We had such a good coming. time. We had a black, like, Kia and I were like two kids. We were like, wait, there's more. She wait, was like, y'all got to let me go. She was like, please, I got to go eat dinner. Like, I'm so sorry. But that is a testament to just what an awesome conversation it was and what an awesome individual she is. Make sure you all check out the new book today. Yes. The new black Available woman. right now. Um, Available right this very moment that you're listening to this episode. And um, also, while you're listening to this episode, send Kia some love. Aww. Send Kia some extra love, yeah. uh, especially this week. You know what I'm saying? Give her all the virtual hugs yes. and love that you can. Um, without being smothering. And, <laughs> and, and continue to send your graduation announcements. And we'll do the graduation announcements through the end of June since we started a little later this year. So make sure you're sending your graduation announcements into hello at gettinggrown.co. Hey! And sis, <laughs> take them out and tell them what to do. Make sure that you're doing your very best to keep your mind nourished and moisturized uh, by attending to the business that is yours and yours alone. That's how you keep your mind from being dry and crusty. You mind your business. That's what mm -hmm. you do. You also mm -hmm. want to moisturize the rest of your organs internally by drinking yeah. as much water as your body can withstand. Okay? That's flesh. That's this. It's just, you just got to do it. Those are the rules. Okay? Uh, your body requires water to function properly, so make sure that you are moisturizing your insides as well. You also want to moisturize your outside. Your largest organ, organ, which is your skin. Why, sis? Because your black will crack like a smoker. Yes. If it's dry. Mm. Bye. Mm. Bye. With this blood in my hand. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>Have you ever wondered what the stars have to say about your favorite artists and writers? Listen to Stars and Stars with Issa, where I, your host and astrologer, Issa Nakazawa, read and interpret astrological birth charts of luminaries like W. Kamau Bell, Gia Tolentino, and so many more. You'll discover how astrology can unlock fascinating insights about these stars. And who knows, maybe you'll learn a little bit more about yourself. Listen to Stars and Stars with Issa wherever you get your podcasts.